Yo, doggies! What's up? And welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I'm Nick, your titular host of The Affair. The Affair in Question being a podcast that sometime I do solo, sometime I have uh, the guests on, and we talk, and we chat, and we chop it up, and today is no exception. But I'll get into that in a minute. This podcast is fan-supported, and if you want to support the podcast... Go to patreon.com slash nickflanagan if you want to be credited. Let me know and I will thank you on the podcast. I'd like to thank my mom for housing me for the past year. I'd like to thank Los Angeles for twisting me into a, a, a broken heap that could then be put back together Humpty Dumpty style. With no visible scars. Baby, I'm better than ever. Look at my muscles. You can't. You're not allowed to look at my muscles, but one day you can if you're good. Anyway, today I talked to Paul Perrier, an old buddy from when I was first starting in comedy, going at it hard, playing the rock shows. And he was someone who photographed a bunch of comedians in the 1980s. And if you look up Cinema Perrier, uh, like the drink, on YouTube, you can see some of his work talking to and capturing people like Mark Marin and Bill Hicks and Sam Kinison, all kinds of people. And uh, yeah, Paul was just around when I was hanging around a promoter named Dan Burke, and he was uh, filming Dan during a tumultuous time in his life, uh, and I was Dan's assistant. If you can picture me assisting anyone, uh, it's Dan, because that's the only time I've been an assistant. And yeah, Paul is great. He has a movie um, called Be Present, which is a ex- exploration of silence and our obsession with our phones, which you might be listening to this on. So thank you for using your phone in this case. And uh, we're putting a link to his Crack Not Broken film, that we talked about during the podcast. That's going to be in um, the show notes. So, without any further adieu, I welcome you to the world of Nick's conversation with Paul Perrier. Paul Perrier. Give me suggestions on the framing. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that's how you roll. I feel like you're more of a guy who just like... You see what you like. Yeah, I mean, we both have to be in there. Yeah, that's like something a photographer knows. I'm kind of combing a Dumb and Dumber kind of Jeff Daniels bangs thing. You got your hat on. Hope you don't want to. You know, comedians. The first thing that you are one of the earliest things you're told is don't wear a hat on stage. Yeah, because it covers your eyes and your face. I'm not trying to say that. You're... No, no, I, I, that's interesting. I never and. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't really see that many comedians on stage with hats. It would be more like a giant star, like maybe like Adam Sandler would right. come out in a hat or something. And that's kind of more of his style. You yeah. know? He's got that kind of, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Like uh, almost bashful element to his yeah. himself that you would never, or a soft, strangely soft-spoken considering he's Adam Sandler. Yeah, I've always mm-hmm. worn hats. I think I've seen you in hats for a long time. Mm-hmm. How are you? <laughs> are we going here? Is this are we going? We've been going for the whole time. Uh, okay, good. Uh, but I like good, that. Good to I see feel, you again. 
I feel like you knew it was going, but like. Well, I it, thought there might be an official start. No, I do that. Uh, I uh, I do that like in post now. There was a time where I was okay. starting a podcast and going, Welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I'm here with Paul Perry. Right, right. And um, I just said it. So, like that intro. Hello, welcome to Nick <laughs> Flanagan Weekly. I'm here with Paul Perry, the famous uh, photographer of comedians and uh, all sorts of things and documentarian. And uh, is that your Gian Gameshi voice? And uh, a uh, <laughs> oh, and a because uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, you would always do that. You um, should get. I'd love to hear like a podcast with him. That'd be so <laughs> interesting. No, uh, I think that I have an issue with having people on. Something that drives me crazy is I feel like there's a genre of person who are always through something maybe anxiety they're manipulating truth like as you talk yeah, to them yeah. so i mean i i think documenting that is interesting yeah. but um i feel like the blowback would be heavy <laughs> i think if yeah. people i knew who were immediately related to the john gameshi situation right um plus i'd be like mad at him talking to him you know i'd be like well, nothing wrong with that well, yeah, I just don't know if he would be... He seems like someone who doesn't really have a lot of space for people getting mad at him. <laughs> and his mayor. Um, but but um, he's a... Uh, would you say you're a experimental filmmaker, Paul Perry? There's something uh, well, exper- it, it almost seems like your documentaries are like these long-form experiments. Well, uh, I'm a photographer by trade, so... Yeah. That's, that's where I came from. I always wanted to be... I picked up a super eight uh camera when i was about 12 years old my dad's camera Mm -hmm. and i started making little films and i always wanted to be i always thought i was i was always fascinated by television and movies and you know growing up in i grew up in montreal and Mm -hmm. uh during i think one of the greatest eras in montreal like i came in the 70s yeah and uh, I was an Anglo living in Westmount, Quebec mm-hmm. during the FLQ crisis. Right, and, martial uh, law. Yeah, it was, it was the greatest city to live up in. And it was very, my life, when I think back of it, I'm actually writing, I've been writing a memoir about mm-hmm. being a photographer pre and post digital age. Yeah, you made the switch. Did you make the switch? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I made the switch, but I don't do commercial photography that much anymore it's mm-hmm. just i it changed it's not photography mm-hmm. it's digital imaging and it's not what i got into it for like that that's kind of what uh-huh. i'm writing about is that there you at uh you know just when i was getting really good and built up clients like i was a commercial i was doing uh corporate i was doing advertising i was doing actors i was doing that was going on when i met you i think you were like rolling along doing your thing but still taking the time out to uh when we met you were going to the rock shows and comedy shows a lot it seemed like or you were you were pretty interested when we met i was just starting comedy and doing it in kind of like both well not really at yucks very much but like just slightly unorthodox places or places that were uh, part of the it created in the indie comedy changeover in the 1990s. I would like to shout out Boyd Banks for leaving Yuck Yucks and going to the Laugh Resort, and the Laugh Resort being the birth of independent comedy in Canada, at least in Toronto. 
Yeah. You know, I don't want to say in Canada because someone in, you know, Winnipeg will get mad at me because <laughs> there's a club there called Rumors. But yeah. right, right. But my earliest memory of you is I met you through a mutual friend of ours. A colorful mutual friend. Dan Burke. Dan Burke, also from Montreal, I'm also not. Anglo. I'm much, uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Dan. Dan's played an important part yeah. in my filmmaking. Yeah, we, 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 I'd love to get into that, but, but I mean, yeah. you were talking earlier about uh, your, uh, well, we have two directions here, you know, two paths. You can go back to you growing in Montreal, getting the Super 8, or you can talk, and this is my preferred thing because it's about me, <laughs> how, uh, how we met. So the mutual friend, Dan Burke, big impact on you. And then we met at, uh, what, the Silver Dollar? Yeah, I, I did I know you during the, so I met, I reconnected with Dan during the uh, El Macombo days. I don't know if we met during the days of the El Macombo. I, maybe we met, I was Dan's assistant yeah. briefly. Dan is a, a uh, longtime concert promoter in, in Canada, in Toronto, since the late 1990s now. And uh, yeah, he managed uh, to book the Elma Combo. And then he took over this place called the Tequila Lounge. And I was his assistant at that time after the Elma Combo closed right. or was purchased. Yeah, I met you at the Silver Dollar. And I yeah. remember seeing you and Dan doing stand-up comedy together. You're right. And we had the, the competition. We had a stand-up comedy competition because Dan was a very uh what would the word be um very verbose uh very quick yeah very reactive uh intelligent guy um, super intelligent so i thought it would be kind of a, a funny thing if we had like a comedy competition even though obviously he'd never really done comedy yeah. properly in any and i remember fashion. both of you do you do stand up with the written stuff in your hand not anymore but you yeah at that time i had the notebook and uh and sometimes so i've been doing it lately you both had notes I yeah he saw i was uh one of his, his mentors yeah. <laughs> I don't think and his like comedy that. career has gone <laughs> he he shifted focus <laughs> back to concert promotion so i met i met dan in 1977 uh-huh in edmonton alberta and he was a friend of my brother's i went out to uh edmonton to mm -hmm. get a summer job i was 17 years old mm -hmm. and he was living in a house with my brother it was this crazy there was a bunch of degenerates living in the i should say but just great <laughs> older guys than me i was 17 yeah. my brother's two years older so they were all around 20, in 70s 21. the hippies became degenerates right that right was essentially right. They'd, yeah, they'd, there was they bunch, degenerated literally <laughs> the house like there was about 10 guys who sort of lived in and out of there. And Dan was one of them. And mm -hmm. uh, I was supposed to have a job in Edmonton. It fell through and Dan was looking for work. And we and another friend who was out there in that house went to uh, pick cherries in the Okanagan Valley. So I spent wow. two summers with, uh, two months with yeah. Dan. Wow. And it was a crazy, like the stories. He was. How old was he at that time? So Dan was probably ninth, 18, 19. So he was like a year or two older well, yeah, than yeah. you. But he had stories already? Yeah, I mean, Dan. <laughs> Dan's father was a very famous sports writer for the Gazette. Right, yeah, the Montreal and, Gazette. And Dan, uh, so I knew Dan, Dan had a bit of a. People knew about Dan. He's one of these larger than life characters. Even yeah. back then, like yeah. I remember traveling with him going, wow, I'd like to be like this guy. He's super smart. He's yeah. super fun. And he was tough as hell. And a lot of confidence, you could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, so we spent a crazy couple of months and that's how I got to know Dan. And then I didn't see him for years. And then he got into writing. He was writing in Montreal and he was covering the crime scene in Montreal. And uh, but he reached out to me because my dad, my dad worked for a guy named Dr. Gerald Bull. Okay. Who had a company called Space Research and was building the super gun that he ended up selling to the Iraqis. And he was the super gun. Yeah. What is that? It's the world's biggest gun. And it was being built. On the it sounds book. like it's out of a video game, like a shooter or something. Oh, Google, yeah. Google, Doctor Bull, and there's HBO made a film, but he ended up getting assassinated. I'm gonna look at this right now. <laughs> Keep going. And, um, anyway, so Dan, Dan was uh, trying to find interesting stories, and he want my dad worked for this guy, and mm. uh, Dan wanted to do a story on him, and there was a few other things that like. Dan was leading this, like I, I was going to photography school at the mm -hmm. time. And we did a few things that he, he wanted me to shoot a few things for stories he was working on. And they were mm -hmm. always, every story I had with Dan is a crazy, crazy story. Like there's always danger and stuff to it. <laughs> but um, I didn't see him again till he got in touch with me in uh 2001 right when he was working at the elma combo he had seen i had made a documentary two year my first film which one was that i went to my high school reunion okay in montreal and i made a film and it was a school he went to too in ndg marymount high school uh -huh. um anyways he i guess he had seen it because it was on cbc and uh he liked it and he got in touch with me and I got this message one day and it's Dan Burke and Dan has this. He's got a very specific way of talking. Fucking Pomperian. fucking people. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a message and it's Dan. He goes, uh, hey, Paul, saw your film. I've got a great, I would love to talk to you about, I've got a great idea for the greatest fucking rock and roll movie ever made right what do you want to call it the great rock and roll uh something yeah he had yeah. The, and the idea was he it was uh shamble or something <laughs> yeah and it was based on cocksucker blues a bit but it right. was about he was working at the elmo mm -hmm. it was the 25th anniversary of the love you live album that was recorded there right <laughs> Mick Jagger was in town promoting a film at the film festival. Uh -huh. And the whole premise was he was going to try to get in touch with Mick. Mick and book him to do. I vaguely remember this. Right. Yeah. So I, I, we started shooting it September 8th, 9th and 10th of 2001. Right. And then 9-11 happened. 9-11 happened. And Dan's life took a pretty serious dive out like the elmo closed and that's i mean you yeah. you got more involved with dan after that as yeah, so did i mean I. i've been doing stuff uh in bands playing for dan's shows since he came to town you know so i mean i definitely yeah. knew dan but yes uh uh and going to vaseline which was this incredible night that he put on there and just all the different shows or he let will monroe put on there rather and, and uh you know uh, but yeah, I remember 9-11 happened and, uh, there was the, the bullies, I think was the name of the band. There was a guy who'd been a firefighter who was in that band. They'd played the Elmo a lot and he died. And, 
Uh, his girlfriend dropped, left him. Like Dan had his had girlfriend left him. Yeah, and then he, uh, the Elmo got sold, so he had to scramble to find a job, and he took it really. Uh, it's he took it really hard, you know, and uh, justifiably so, or you know, as we do when things happen, and uh, you know, Dan was a, uh, he was a uh, Dan Dan for the count. That's uh, the kind of joke I, I like hey. to make. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, he wasn't. And uh, he's still going. And he's back. And he seems yeah. great. I haven't, you know? I haven't seen Dan since the night the uh, dollar closed. That was the last time I saw Dan. Uh, that's not that long ago, no. right? That's like four years ago, something like that. Three, four years not ago. Not even that long. Yeah, now. yeah. But, I was away when that happened. Eh. So it's kind of a blur to me. Yeah. But that um, was my, like, I would go, like, I would, so after September 11th, I, that whole, I, like, the film festival shut down, so the whole idea about getting McJagger fell through. Mm -hmm. But I kept shooting him because, A, we both had different ideas of what we wanted to do, so yeah. there, there was an interesting part of it to that, but I was... I was interested in music and shoot, and Dan wanted me to, you know, document what was going on. He knew what he was doing was important. Mm -hmm. So I shot him for a while and then, and it was crazy. Like Dan had a serious drug problem. I recall, yes. And uh, he wasn't hiding it. Like, no, <laughs> it was, he and, was doing it uh, and it would be, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, whatever. I don't want to speak too much about Dan without him here, but yeah, yeah. it was very blatant. And, it, and it's not hidden. Dan talks about it very openly. Yeah. I don't think he, anyways. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, I don't, I don't think I'd ever seen someone, you know, smoke uh, crack basically in front of me. Right. Um, me neither. And uh, when he did, I was like, oh, this is, uh, this is really not nice to see. This is like a very, and I think Dan was also good at kind of making it seem seedy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not that smoking crack there's ever, I just wonder if I was in like, you know, a Ritz Carlton hotel smoking crack with, uh, you know, the Ritz brothers. Right. Or Carlton from <laughs> Fresh Prince. Uh, if That'd that would be, be as bad. Yeah, you know, in the bath. You know, I think that would be cool. Getting room service. But when it's happening in a dark room and that thin smoke is kind of like going in front of you and yeah. you're like, you don't want to hit. Yeah. You know, or when pop cans are involved and stuff. You yeah, know? I mean, I was around more drugs than I've ever seen in my life. So you were in Montreal in the 70s, but you were not uh, partying. I don't know. Was it a hard partying era? Was it more of a Montreal? drinking time? Yeah, I was more of a... I didn't really smoke pot. Like, I smoke pot now. I mm -hmm. started smoking pot when I moved to Toronto. But uh, I didn't... It was hard to get, and it mm -hmm. wasn't good. I mean, I, mean, I s tried pot. And, but I was always sort of scared of drugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I drank beer and uh, you know, got drunk, for sure. But I, I mean, I thought it was so interesting and serendipitous to, that you were kind of around at that exact time because I was just starting to do comedy and I, I was approaching comedy in such an odd way. Like I was early into it, but I was like, I got a thing and I'm going to do it here and I don't care. Right. And uh, I'd been doing bands for a long time and had funny lyrics and stuff. So I was like, had some level of confidence that I was presenting as not confidence which is like a weird thing yeah. now it's like uh it's like it's not the opposite i don't even know exactly what i'm doing now but um yeah and and then you were there and you were like i photograph comedians and i've been seeing comedians since this and you probably told me the story about trying to do five minutes 
at yeah. Yuck Yucks in, in 1985 and uh, an amateur night. And then you have your documentary, you know, unfinished. Uh, 33 years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something you're, you know, the three documentaries that, you know, I've seen of yours. I guess it's four because there was the thing you made about Dan and I've seen that. And that's that's just a, it's an eight minute and yeah. they're all very they're they're not long which i kind of think is cool you know like yeah i mean that that piece so you can have people if they're interested i have a youtube page yeah where, cinema perrier is that I, what it is i think it's under yeah. cinema perrier yeah um and there's i haven't put like i haven't put videos up in a long time all the videos are up there and there's a lot about burke up there yeah but that piece that i put up about of Dan that you can see there mm -hmm. after shooting him for a year and I really saw a decline in Dan like this mm -hmm. was a friend of mine like it, it was kind of funny at first not yeah. funny but cool you know or just interesting Inter even, totally you know? interesting yeah I was like, like I, I had two young kids at home and I was going yeah. out at night yeah. <laughs> capturing this stuff um and I was, yeah, it was interesting, but over that year, Dan got really bad. And, and, it, and it was visible in, in the shows. People weren't working with him. And, yeah. you know, I remember being his assistant and it was a really big show with like Quintron, Stereo Total, like Add Into X, something like that. You know, big early 2000s bill. And uh, everybody wanted their money in advance. And I was just like, I'm just a guy doing this while Dan's away, you know, like, I don't know dick yeah, about yeah. this. And... Um, <laughs> People were sending me angry letters and, you know, uh, you know, that being said, uh, you know, my band even wrote, I wrote, I wrote a song about Dan that was uh, for my band Brutal Nights that was like, <laughs> I guess sort of like in my mind, kind of like payback for being his assistant and just dealing with all yeah. this shit from him. And he was so hurt by that song. Was he? <laughs> yeah. Well, because it goes, you are a jerk. Dan Burke, and it was like right, right. I and there's a, there's another band who wrote a song called "Show Promoter Dan." Oh yeah, the, the Bar Mitzvah was, Brothers. Uh, the Bar Mitzvah Brothers wrote that. That's so funny. And yeah. if you go to that YouTube page, I I shot Dan mm -hmm. singing a rebuttal to this song, which is very like your song. Yeah. I think I've heard your song. Yeah, it's a very if you're going to deal with Dan Burke, you're going to have to fight and for your money and everything. And Something like that, yeah. At, during Canadian Music Week, it was back in... But it was written lovingly. I don't know totally. if he... It's a beautiful song. Yeah, oh, that's nice of you to say. But no, yeah. that, that, I, I'm, I'm both songs. I, I don't remember yeah. yours as much. Yeah. But in this song, during a live performance, and they hadn't practiced it at all, the bar mitzvah brothers sang show promoter dan and then dan joined them on stage and wrapped a rebuttal to their song <laughs> okay. holding paper like when yeah. i first met like your influence is in it there that's always like height of a drug problem is like the rapping thing <laughs> like the the, unsur the surprising person doing a rap kind of thing i but, feel like charlie sheen probably did that once or twice in his yeah, uh, yeah. downturn but his rap is actually brilliant no 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 the dan is a really great writer it's just you know it's 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 more like that sort of like i'll do whatever i want kind of mentality but but yeah, Dan right. Dan has always been one of the more eloquent uh, people, uh, you know, if if uh, brusque or whatever the word would be, you know. Like we're all, I, you you have a punk influence to you. You're, sure. Well, how old are you? 
I'm 39 now. You're young. I'm young. I love that people say that now. But I always say our dream. When people say you're young to me, what they're really saying is I'm old. <laughs> I'm turning 60. That's cool. You look 39. Yeah. I feel 39. But um, you, Dan and you and a lot of people I got to know when I moved here have that punk. It's mm-hmm. do it yourself. Yeah. You have an idea, mm-hmm. however crazy it is. My ideas are crazy. Yeah. You have very esoteric ideas. I'm into it. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and that I, I'm attracted to people who do that. That's mm-hmm. why I've, we, although we don't see each other, we've kept in touch. We're attracted to our own, I think, you know, as For people sure. a lot of the time. That's what I'm, and not even necessarily content wise, but like sometimes temperament wise, like sometimes like sort of. I don't even know, like heart-wise, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Well, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm just, so I, I don't know why, why we got there. It was about, damn. Anyway, yeah, so. Yeah, no, you were saying that, but, you know, you, I, you I, always were attracted to punk rock kind of DIY mentality. Yeah, people I mean, doing interesting stuff, you know. My life your, changed. I saw the Ramones in 79. Yeah. In a bar in Montreal, and I walked out of there because I didn't really know them that much. Uh-huh other than pictures and reading about the right. Rolling yeah. Stone, but I walked out of that concert going, okay, I want to have fun like these guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to... Meanwhile, they, they were miserable. Well, no, I know. <laughs> and, and if you do decide to do that, uh-huh. you're going to have fun, but you're going to you're gonna go through misery to it's get highs there. and lows, you know? You're just going to like have... addiction. It is a lot like it, you know? And it's... it's uh, and a lot of people who get into that, you know, that's uh, uh, a reason they're doing it, you know, is for that kind of feeling and, and, and to hit a flow state or something, you know. And But the problem is that if they have a me- mentality that uh, gravitates to that where they need that stimulation, they might just pile it on, you yeah. know. And, and uh, when you do that, or they might be so stimulated they need to, like, lower it down, you know, chemically or through... I'm sleeping a lot. I don't really know what else you do. But but yeah, it's so but I also think that, you know, in the arts we have that mentality, especially in comedy, uh to kind of go, oh, you know, like these people are so uh you know, the the majority are like, you know, like really fucked up people, really messed up people. But to me, it's like I don't think a lo- I would say that would be 25%. Maybe it's a higher amount of people certain people who've hit the top because of the magnetism sometimes that people who are uh uh seriously you know i can't even explain it but but you know the the addictive personality you know is an an addictive personality sometimes for other people you know like and and, uh um but but i think that there's too much organization too much focus and too much uh crafting um and, and, and motivation needed for the bulk of people in this entertainment world to not to to be, you know, all addict types, which is probably why so much art is shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in, in that clip, Dan talks about, you know, exactly that. Yeah. Like the conservatism in, in the business. Yeah. In this, Especially in Canada. Yeah, in yeah. this industry that's supposed to be all about the opposite. 
But you see it in LA too, you know, having Everywhere. lived there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a bigger scale in LA. Like yeah. you, I lived in LA back in the 80s for oh, seven months. So yeah. I was interested that you, you spent three years there. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. What was that like? Fine. I mean, I'd been visiting a lot, you know, so. And, and you went there to what? To become a, an actor or just do whatever you This is do. my whole thing, you know, it's like, I like it all, right? So. I, I basically went there to be doing stand-up regularly to attempt to get writing jobs. And did you I, get Did you get on the comedy at the comedy store? No, I didn't go up at clubs. Uh, I mean, it's such a, a divided situation, and the club situation is so overloaded that if you don't really get on certain shows that people have, you know, uh, you wind up going to the mics and maybe getting up, you know. Yeah. And um, it felt I didn't have a car for a long time, so I just felt like the time the time investment for me was just, yeah. and also the timing of going was difficult. What and, years? Well, it was twenty fifteen through twenty eighteen, but for me it was like my dad had just died, and I'd like, you know, uh, that was really the, the the and I did I moved without like a lot of funds, and I kind of like rushed the move, and you yeah. know those were all trouble, especially when the dollar is like twenty five percent, you know, thirty percent. And, and what area were you living in? In a couple of areas. I was in Silver Lake, uh, Los Feliz, which is very central. And then also um, later on, I was in the Eagle Rock Highland Park area, which is right. Marin country. But it's also, that's, he lived in Highland Park, I think, for a long time. But I loved all those areas, especially Eagle Rock and Highland Park. But uh, I, I I was getting on shows. That's not to say I wasn't doing shows. Yeah. I mean, I was just doing shows like... Alternate. Alternative, I call, you know, they're like book shows. Like, I actually think, well, I, it's a very complicated comedy world right now because those alternate, uh, so called alternative shows essentially became the most, or, or, or this very viable, advertised, uh, promoted type of show, type of thing. You could probably be someone who is not doing any of those clubs in LA that much. And get to just for laughs as an American comic, you know, get uh, certain places, get a special maybe even, you know, because that's where, you know, managers and agents, they were going to melt down and they were going to, uh, you know, the, the Bar Lubitsch, this place where they would have shows and, you know, UCB, obviously. I mean, Comedy Death Ray was just a major show for years and years. That kind of then became Meltdown was this giant show you could go to uh, hosted by Kumail Nanjiani and, and Jonah Ray. And it was eventually a comedy uh, central show, you know, that was showing the comics who played there. And then, you know, in New York, you had these invite them up different kinds of shows. That was like Eugene Merman, John Benjamin. These are all people who got very successful and most of them we're not I club really, I don't even recognize many of their names and yeah. I think I know comedy pretty well. Exactly. And and so that whole thing is just like this interesting niche that gets a lot of play, especially in the more recent generation that's super internet savvy, super Twitter, super like if you right. look at sort of woke Twitter, you know, so to speak, like it's mo a lot of the biggest voices are LA based comedians who are not like comedy store people necessarily right. and then the comedy store is this whole other thing yeah. uh have you watched i'm dying up here i watched the whole thing with my mother i just started <laughs> they canceled it so there's no that, second uh there's two seasons there's only one no so, no there's two uh really yeah 
I'm watching season. Oh yeah, yeah. There's two. Yeah. There's two, and but I, we finished after season two. There was there was none. Right. Yeah, I think I, I could have sworn there was only one, but so I, I believe I, you, man. There are two. Yeah, yeah. I've only watched like three episodes, but to me, from so my experience with comedy is in '85. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I had just graduated from. I went to photography school to become a photographer, and I had taking a job as an assistant at some big studio in Montreal. In Montreal. It was my first job and I got fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was trying to figure, you know, I was trying to figure, get another job. And I, I was brought up on comedy. Like I watched Carson and right. I watched, I loved stand-up comedy. Montreal was a pretty, you know, that's where Just for Laughs started. And so... When was that? Like 1979? Just for Laughs? Yeah, or was they, it later? 85? Yeah, I think it was late 70s. Yeah. But they became, it was in the 80s, they became known. Like Was both. it Francophone at first? It was both. Yeah. Or there might have just been a... No, I think it was both. But, um... So I was always, like, I studied comedy. I would mm-hmm. um, stay up and watch all the comedians that... Um, um, Carson and Letterman for sure was a huge influence and in all the comedians he exposed. Right. And I went, God, I should, I want to try this. Yeah. I want to, I wonder, I, I thought I had a good sense of humor, but yeah. there's a, there's a big difference about being funny in front of your friends and getting up on stage <laughs> and making people laugh. I, I think, think it, it's, it's, it's just a difference of, um, really being able to import that sensibility, I think, you know, uh, more than anything for me, you know, it's like, I've never done it. Definitely so making my friends laugh was like a very big influence on my entire comic right. thing, you know? So, and in fact, my early career was pretty much like for my friends, you know, yeah, like, totally. and in fact, what I'm doing right now is like still like for my friends. It's just now I'm kind of like, maybe I everybody's agree. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, like uh, Goldilocks, you know, like I'm just uh, who's the one who's a very a woman from fairy tales who was very uh, naive. Uh, was little, Goldilocks little the ready, one? Little Red Riding Hood. Yes, like Little Red Riding Hood. I'm her. It's the only uh, nursery uh, rhyme. I, is it a new nursery rhyme? No, or? I think it's a fable. A fable. Fairy tale. Sorry, I interrupted. So you no, were like. No, so I, I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. And mm-hmm. my brother, my older brother was living. What time? How much time? Yeah, time, time. You don't yeah. worry about it. What's yeah. your longest podcast? Uh, I did a two part with uh, Scott Thompson that was like two and a half hours. I've got a good Scott Thompson story. I'd love to hear it. Is it? Is it? Uh, is it? Uh, is it repeatable on air? Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. And it, um, but it will it, it, yeah. lead from this comedy sure. story. So I go to. My brother uh, is living in Ottawa. He's going to school at Ottawa U. So I figured if I'm going to, I didn't want to do it in Montreal because I thought people, <laughs> I didn't want to do it in front of people who might know me. I just want to do it somewhere remote. So mm-hmm. there was a Yuck Yucks in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I went to Ottawa. It was open mic night. You had to call in, I guess, and say, yeah. uh, can you put my name on a list? So I had written five minutes of stuff, and I don't know if it was funny or not, but I was ready to do it. And Neil and I go to Yuck Yuck. This is Neil here. Neil's my brother. Okay. So it's just him and I, and you know, I, I don't know anyone in Ottawa. So I knew I was going to probably fail. <laughs> 
Well, that, that's part of it, right? You just have to sure. get up and do it. So yeah. we go in, sitting there, and the MC for uh, the open mic that night was, um, uh, I can draw a blank, an Ottawa comedian who was on Saturday Night Live. Um, I don't Norm. Know. Norm McDonald. Oh, Norm McDonald's the MC. Okay. So at that point in his career, like it was early in his career, sure. and he's hosting over the... Mike Knight, and he, he had was, a very deep Ottawa Valley accent at that time. Right, and he was, f- <laughs> and he was fucking funny. Like Zing. he was, I, I was, I'd seen a lot of comedians, and that blew me away. He was so, one of the paramount influences on me as a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does. He probably does about ten minutes, and then he. There was a few regular comedians who did it and then i guess at around 10 30 they started calling people who had signed up for open mic night so i've been sitting there for we're drinking and waiting and i'm totally i'm losing confidence are you drunk at this point i've had drinks okay you seem like you can maybe handle your drinks i can handle Can handle my drinks as well <laughs> you have <laughs> handled a few your stories drinks. Yeah. but i Anyway, so it gets getting later, later, and people are leaving, and all of a sudden the clubs like there's stragglers around, and most of them are just like comedians and stuff. And I'm going, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I chickened out. Oh wow! I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, and I just went, it, it's not for me. I'm not ready yet. Like uh, I, even getting up, I'm not ready well, even yeah. to get up. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't ready to fail, and and it always bothered me. Mm. It's like one of those, it's like um, this thing on your back, right? Yeah. But what happened from that is I got involved in, I kept, my interest in comedy never stopped. And mm. I, one of my early jobs out of school, and just before I moved to Toronto, was working for Just for Last. Like, in, I shot for Just for Last in 88, no, 89, 90, and 91. Mm. And I... Like it was unbelievable. I was shooting Kennison. I was Bill right. Hicks. Yeah, your your the video I, you I, sent I, me had you know Mark Maron was a big part of that <laughs> young Mark Maron. You know. Yeah, so it, that was the nineties, right? That was like that was two when I shot Mark that whole piece. I went back to just for laughs to shoot this idea of this film and pitch it to them. It never went, unfortunately. Um, but I had access. To, they gave me access to everybody, so I was. Schimmel was there. I, almost, I love Robert Schimmel so he, much. I know. He was, he was someone I loved from a young age for whatever reason. Because I read an article on him, sorry, I, I, I that was uh, saying, you know, probably in the newspaper when I was like, maybe still like 11 or, you know, 10 or something. And it was just like, this guy, he's kind of like dirty, sort of like interesting. And I probably heard him on the Sunday Funnies on Chum FM, which was this sort of portal at 11 p.m. or 10 p.m. on Sundays into comedy stand-up stuff and uh I just love his speaking voice frankly I mean he just has such a great speaking voice for comedy and cadence and then the stuff he's talking about I saw him at Massey Hall I got to see him perform probably three or four years before he died and um it was just great I mean it was dirty it was base but it was not it was a story about diarrhea you know but it, it was so hilarious you know and and um and he lived a life that i think uh the 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 
sort of culture, the dominant social media culture, which is strangely not the dominant culture. It's very interesting. Uh, would have had a lot of problems with, I think. I mean, he didn't he like marry his daughter's friend or something, you know? Who I met there. Yeah. Like when when there's a local... So I never got to photograph him. He he looked at my work. He goes, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But uh-huh. then trying to get him to do it, well, that became... But I got Mark Marin to come up. Yeah. To, like that was pre all his fame and stuff. Yeah, that was sort of... Way before WTF, it yeah, was yeah. 2008, eight or nine years, 10 years even. And yeah. Yeah. So it was a, yeah. and then when I moved here, I start I started shooting comedians. Uh, I was helping, there was a woman whose husband, uh, you know, Tim Sims. Of course, yeah. So there Lindsay was Lee and Lindsay Lease. Yeah. She was just starting the Tim Sims Fund. Somebody put me in touch with her because they knew I was shooting, interested in comedy. She asked me to volunteer to mm-hmm. shoot their shows. So I started shooting that and that's where I met um, um, Kids in the Hall. Um, Kit Scott Thompson. Scott. And uh, he was one of the earlier uh, guys to come and do a portrait. Like I started shooting kind of portraits of stand-up comedians and uh, I met him through that and I asked him if he'd do it and it, he came over and did, did this. I'll show you. I brought some of the pictures because I was going through them, but he came over and did this series of photographs and it was just, he was on, uh, he was in LA, working in LA on mm-hmm. uh, the Larry Sanders, Sanders show. show. Yeah. So, uh, and he was, you know, guys like that. I know he's been on your show and yeah. He, guys like that who are quite well known but yet mm-hmm. have time give their time to help i was a young guy at yeah. the time and he came and gave me an hour of his time and did something that i wanted to do like he he i remember he showed up with like women's clothing and stuff like he was i think he was going to do a character thing and i i said no i got this idea would you mm-hmm. do it and uh he did and we can look at it but mm-hmm. um yeah i've had in my life, I've had really interesting experiences with some iconic people. Yeah. Did you photograph Sam Kinison personally or just performing? No, Kinison yeah. on stage. I was I, watching... I met some of them. I didn't meet Kinison. I met yeah. Bill Hicks briefly. Yeah, how was that? It's crazy. I So he did... When I shot Hicks, he was doing a one-man show at Just for Last mm-hmm. that became... Uh, Showtime recording it was relentless I see yeah so I was at that show shooting it and I I didn't know Bill Hicks no I didn't know who he was yeah they just said here go cover this show and I what he said that that's out of all the stand-up shows I think I've seen Bill Hicks was the greatest was it hilarious or was it uh, profound profound hilarious dark profound disturbing (laughs) i felt he was i felt he was speaking to me yeah i mean you know bill hicks was uh i mean i don't know how many people there are that are posthumously in in stand-up that really rise posthumously like that uh posthumous post hummus after Um, hummus hummus. (laughs) after hummus you have couscous and uh post couscous and uh 
Um, because at the time, I mean, you know, he certainly was famous, but he was famous like a, a wrestler who never went to WWE right. and performed at like Smoky Mountain Wrestling yeah. and, you know, was going to Japan and going yeah. around the world. I mean, he was a guy who started so young that he sounded and was a club, like a club comedian, but he was saying sort of um, really heady stuff, you know? And so when I was in bands and went to this, uh, uh, worked at a music distribution warehouse uh, called Outside Music, we, uh, you know, all the musician guys, like the Bill Hicks records were on like Ryko Disc or something. And, you know, we'd all play what we liked and people would just put on the Bill Hicks. The only comedy that got played there was like Bill Hicks, Maybe Richard Pryor, maybe Cosby, but Bill Hicks and David Cross, shut up, you fucking baby. You know, because it's like the late 90s mentality. People are like, uh, it, it's a kind of music, it, for whatever reason, maybe because it was so uh, anti-authoritarian or counterculture and, and uh, drug culture stuff that it was, uh, you know, the kind of thing people would listen to in vans and stuff. And because <laughs> of that, I've sort of developed a weird contrarian thing with Bill Hicks where like, you know, I love it, but I don't know if I, I mean, comedy is now a bit harder for me to digest in general. And the stuff that really turned me on was like the stuff that sometimes stepped out completely from the standup form, like Andy Kaufman's CBS special. I remember being really obsessed with because not just because oh he was gosh. breaking form, but because there was, I always viewed that even though he was commit, even though people viewed it like a bit and almost like archly sarcastic as some sort of giant thing. I did not get that at all. I got some sort of like a sweetness and like the inner child, like he was just doing his what he wanted to do as a kid, you know? Yeah. And then when he was wrestling women, he was just trying to get boners on stage. And I think that's a little different. But, you know, I've talking heard. to Howdy Doody and, you know, singing those old songs, you know, like that was the stuff I really loved. Yeah. Know? And I felt the same way with Hicks, though. Yeah. No, totally. Everyone has their own. Yeah. And I'm not knocking Bill Hicks, you know, like uh, I just get. You know, I just think about it like uh, some, I, you know, for Andy Kaufman and Bill Hicks, it's like the thing and in a way, Norm MacDonald, it's like what what we take in is, and want to do comedy when you're inspired by people. Sometimes I wonder if you wind up misinterpreting the, the core and uh, that's why there's so many people who do sort of painful variations of those styles, you know, like right. having gone to open mics and seen people do it. <laughs> over and over and sometimes i have space for that stuff too because i think i'm a fan of um futile quests you know <laughs> so when i see people completely missing the social cue and doing stand-up that is like failing i'm kind of like i like it better sometimes that, than that, sort of middle of the road stuff but that's what stand-up is like stand-up comedy to me is it's like music you have to see it live to, uh -huh. to really appreciate it uh-huh and uh, the small, the more intimate, the better. So, and yeah. it doesn't matter if people are failing. Like, part of comedy is getting up there and having people do shit stuff and mm. just go, just go, fuck. Good try. I've had some real fun at big sold out shows. I mean, no, I'm not, I know, no, but, but not, but not, I've also bombed at big sold out shows and um, I've also bombed in tiny rooms. I've also bombed even in this bedroom. But, uh, hey, no, but, but, uh, you know, the small room, um, I do these shows at the Transac front room, which is very small, uh, with musicians now. And, uh, 
I'm loving these shows. And they're to like seven people, you yeah. know, like I am loving them. And I'm feeling like they're this bridging aspect of, you know, what I've been doing for, for so many years. And it's, uh, it's weird. Like, I don't, I, I think there's people who would completely poo poo that, you know, like uh poo poo on it. Where the poo poo plate? Well, look, there's not go to the, the show biggest comedian. The biggest comedians experience that too. Like, there's a yeah. point where you're playing. I've experienced it like a, yeah. a lot. People aren't interested for some reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just think in Canada, all of this stuff is hard to do, yeah. whether it's photography, uh, the only out is grants and entering the grant system. But even that is it's it can often be a guarantee that your work actually doesn't get seen, you know, yeah, like, terrible. You, you know, because you just get it made. It's put out there perfunctorily. And then, you know, if you can put together a good application the next year, you might get a, an, a second grant. You know, I met my dad, you know, subsisted on grants when he was writing in the 1970s. And, your dad's and a writer? My dad was a poet, actually. Uh you know, here's a, you can read this poem of him if you want for the deceased jazz musician. Well, this was before Jordy died, but on Jordy McDonald in, included it on his album. They were friends. Uh, this is called The Drummer. You want to give it a read? I hope you like it. It's Imagine you're reading it and you hate it. You're, this is, your dad wrote this? Yes. And that's your dad? No, that's Jordy McDonald. Oh. And who's Jordy McDonald? Jordy McDonald is a... Uh, a guy who was a jazz drummer in, uh, he started in the 1960s and he was actually in a band with Neil Young and Bruce Palmer in the 60s. And uh, he he helped, he found, when Gil Evans was down on his luck, uh, he brought the arranger Gil Evans to Toronto, got him a place to stay. And uh, he was always recording and, and making music until pretty much until his death. And uh, he was a really interesting esoteric guy. And I mean, I think with all of this kind of work, especially in Canada, you know, I, I just really worry that, you know, uh, like everyone is languishing in obscurity. And if you don't sort of tell their stories, <laughs> you know, and Jordy was obsessed with like getting people to tell their stories. He was writing a history of he was trying to put together a history of jazz in uh, Canada, Canadian jazz musicians. And he once called me and really wanted me to. Uh, even offered money to um, start researching a book about Canadian CBC comedy radio pre-1960. <laughs> like the stuff he grew up listening to. And I was like, wow, that is esoteric. But that's amazing he wanted me to do it. So this is, he included a poem of my dad's called right. Drummer. So I'll read The Drummer by Robert Paul Flanagan. Yeah. My middle name. Oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Slowly, silently, the drums change ownership. The percussive man comes in the central nervous system. White canvas flaps against his past beatings. He is listening where he, is a, where he has evaded sanctuary. He stalks from the four corners of the world. Water spills across his hands. The sun streams through his knowledge, knowledgeable furniture. He is playing silently, slowly. That's it. Nice. But he's a published poet. I'm not just getting you to read some there's rando a, poem. There's a, another poet that lived, I think, on this street. He was a poet laureate of Toronto. Dennis Lee? Yeah. Yeah, Dennis Lee was a children's writer. He wrote most famously Alligator Pie. Yeah, I photographed yeah. him in the park over here. Yeah, he was like a grant sponsor for my dad at one point, too. Yeah. yeah so Is he still around? 
he's alive. I haven't seen him around. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Dennis Lee is still alive. I, I, uh, yeah. you know, and, and so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, my dad did make it on grants. That's really where I was right. taking to, but I did want to, I, I made a note. Um, you were talking about Lindsay Lease and Tim Sims. Tim Sims was a comedian who uh, had a, I believe, a drug problem. I don't even want to get into what it was. So, but he was a comedian who died young, and then there was a fund created in his name so that people who were doing comedy in Canada could feel maybe get a little boost, uh, one person every year. And yeah. The Tim Sims Encouragement Fund was what it was called. Uh-huh. And what that tells me is that every year, one Canadian gets encouraged. <laughs> and that encouragement is a reward. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's Canada in a lot of ways. And, it's and like, I'm not sure know, it's still going on anymore. They renamed it the Cream of Comedy, which is... But is that still going on? I believe so. If not, it was going... But I just think then the term Cream of Comedy is really funny because it's this, the flip side of Canada where they blow up everybody's talent to this like oh these are the greatest comedians you've ever heard and it's like can't we find a middle ground where we're just saying that this expression is just to express yourself with any level of quality is such an amazing thing you know like i don't know i mean it was uh i just see there's so many comedy shows in toronto that are like the great comedian the greatest comedians of all time the superheroes of comedy the magician wizards of comedy the archdiocese of comedy, uh, you know. Well, so I shot the first five years of the live shows. I was a yeah. photographer for it, and on the fifth year, it, they were. It was the first year they were going to televise it, not live, but they were going to shoot it and put a show out on the Comedy Network. Was I think it was the Comedy Network. So they asked me to put together a. Um, a video of all my photo- my photographs from all the comedians I'd shot and and show it at the show live show and I used I didn't know who Tim Sim what Tim Sims was other than what I found out yeah and uh, then I used a bunch of this this piece that he did a stand up piece and it was he was talking about death and I used that as this part of the five minute montage and it was mm-hmm. a pretty dark piece and it was called shades of pink right that and and i remember showing it it was just before the intermission and, and it was like it was pretty dark which i guess that's what comedy is comedy to me is dark it has an element of um <laughs> well when you say it's dark i mean do you think you know seinfeld's dark do you think like andy kaufman is in, in that i'm saying like are you saying that underneath why people are laughing at almost anything, there's a darkness? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, it, you know. It's, well, it, here's it what I'm saying. Is in the face of inconvenience? Everybody in the thinks face of comedy is fun. Like, it's about laughs and stuff. But uh-huh. to, And I'm talking about being a comedian. Like, I'm interested in the, not being, I'm a big fan of comedy, but I'm, more interested in the people who do it right and, and i've been around a lot of them yeah and there is a darkness well yeah i mean i think that's why people get up it all it's like getting naked on stage <laughs> like comedy it's is like the most jerking com- off in front of somebody without asking 
But I think comedy is the most punk, a punk rock of punk rock. Like, I think it's more punk rock than punk rock music. I, you know, I know what you're saying. It's just to me, the thing about comedy that's always been the issue is that it is immediately funneled into marketing. It's immediately funneled into money making. Whereas, you know, having participated in especially the punk rock of like, the 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 that that punk, the hardcore scene until like the mid two thousands from the mid nineties is like nobody thought they were making money. All you were doing was sustaining the next trip and taking that time off of work, you know. And and so that's where I I kind of get weird about comedy because again in L A it was like there were so many situations where people were saying, you know, comedy is the new punk. Like this is punk, and I'm just like. You're doing this on a station owned by Viacom right now. Right, right. Like, like, so, but when you say it's punk rock, like, what, do you, what, why, what do you mean? Like, I'm not trying to to deny what you're saying. You know, you're. Well, I don't think you're it. ever trying. Like, in, I think the comedians I admire, you're never trying to. You're pander to them, uh, to the audience. Right. They're, they're doing it, it. It's punk is very personal, and mm. it, it's about exposing darkness like punk was even though there's a total fun side to punk like the ramones were pretty funny yeah on one i had a lot of fun doing what i did yeah yeah but all of my songs were about really the bad feelings a lot of them were about like there's a song called support me that was about needing work there was too much about how everything costs too much and there was anxiety, which was like and about fuck you, Dan Burke. And there's the fuck you, Dan. They were about frustration, and they were about uh, getting, uh, ideally, people to relate to that frustration. And I think there was a comic, Eugene Merman, who I mentioned earlier. I did his show, and I saw him at Just for Last uh, a little while later. He he wasn't on the show that I did. Uh, and I said, hey, I had a good time at this show you did, at, like Union Hall in New York. And he was like, great. Yeah, it's just about connecting. And I was like, it is. That's all it's about is connecting. And in that sense, you know, punk, I think, is pretty much only about connection in a lot of ways. You know, even though there's like some very dark, abrasive bands in punk, it's about the people who connect with that. Right. You know, it's about finding like-minded people. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh. I like that about comedy. I just think there's so much room for like, I guess, dishonesty, you know, or what I view as dishonest, inauthenticity, you know, and, and comedy has, you know, a history of people who are uh, borderline sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. And I worry about unleashing them in the world. And I feel like people who relate to them then wind up confused, you know, once the, the veil is lifted. But of course, it's just about exposing that we all have these different sides, which nobody wants to right. get into. That's what our culture is right now. It's like everyone goes, oh, I can't believe this person said this thing. I can't believe this person did this thing. It's like, why? Haven't you thought about, haven't you probably thought that thing for like a second, you know, it's and written crazy. it off? And it's like, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but it's also, I get it. You know, things are infuriating. Things hurt us, you know, and, and, uh, it, it's just that I feel like how could the but next we're too connected now, and that's sort of what my the reason I reached out to you to talk about. Yeah, your like new the be present. Thing. Yeah, like the connection that, like back when I was younger and you were younger, you experienced it too. I did more than you because I'm 
20 years older, but yeah. there was no internet and no cell phones. Uh -huh. and, and that was freedom. We, the world is losing mm -hmm. because of this. Yeah. We're, For those listening, Paul picked up his phone, oh, <laughs> showed it like. Harold showed it in the, the microphones. Um, People, yeah, because you know. of cell phones. I mean, there's we're all connected, yet we're so disconnected. It's and people are it's it's a, it's an addiction it's a that we're letting our kids get into when they're christ as young as eight years old it's a strange thing and it's uh i don't really know the way around it for instance you know what i'm doing is so so important to be able to like alert everybody oh the new thing so i'm always on this stuff you know, uh, putting that out there. However, I'm becoming more interested in just putting this, like, you know, I have Hootsuite now instead of a, I have no Twitter app on my phone and I do, I try not to look at Twitter as much and Instagram, I'm deleting it and then bringing it back when I have to post stuff. And um, even that is a solution because I'm also posting things on YouTube and I'm also always thinking about how I should, it's like, it becomes, instead of being about even looking at pictures of other people, the opposite end is what's happening with me where I'm like, I gotta promote myself on this. And it's uh -huh. like, ideally I wish I had the serenity to like admit the things that I cannot change. <laughs> and one of those is that you don't, you can't change if people care, no matter how much you promote it, they're going to come to you if they come to you. They're not going to, right. you, you know, if, yeah. it, it, so, uh, you know, it's, it is something I'd like to do is to come to some sort of a decision, like to just not even do that stuff. You know, I almost wish people would take their content off of social media. Well, it's, there's so much, but yes, if you do, that's what I was going to say. There's going to be, especially the new generation of people, which I'm not going to say it's good or bad, but they are so plugged into this world that the idea that people wouldn't participate is, I think, um, I mean, I would like to talk to someone, uh, a 20 year old, you know, because the opposite might in fact be happening, a little rebellion against it. But to me, it's like they wouldn't even picture someone not participating. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, I have two daughters yes. who are turning 21 and 19 this month. And uh, quite honestly, I use social media more than they do. Right, that's great. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're on their phones. Like that's how they communicate. Like the so what are they? Are they in the Instagram DMs? Are they to communicate? Are well, they texting? Texting and TikTok. Uh, what's TikTok? I don't know. I, I think they use um, what's the what's the one that disappears? Snapchat. Snapchat. I think that's a, still a big one. Sketchiest one. Probably. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, part of the reason I made this piece, it's not a film, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of art. It's a 15-minute silent yeah. film. That's mostly you. I mean, it's, it's all you in words. It's, it's my, yeah, so I'll bla briefly explain it. I, I, it's uh, influenced by an artist named Mar Marina Brimovic. Yeah. Who did a show called The Artist is Present. She was implicated in Pizzagate. What's Pizzagate? <laughs> Look it up. It's, I mean, it was Clinton? just, this, yeah, the Hillary Clinton. How uh, was Marina Abramovich? Because they, she attended a Marina Abramovich uh, uh, 
opening or something and spirit cooking was referenced in it which was then taken by uh people on uh, the far far conspiracy right thing to have something to do with cooking children and uh, or something like that mm. the blood of children and then so she was uh and they were like why did she post this picture on twitter on this day if she's not doing this it right. was that's this little side it's not note fake about news. Is it? No, it is fake uh, news. <laughs> it's the fakest of uh, news. Anyways, um, I had heard that. So she did this show at MoMA called "The Artist Is Present." Sure. She, it was, I think, uh, four weeks where she sat at a table in MoMA, mm -hmm. seven, eight hours from opening to close. She didn't leave the seats, and the audience would come and line up to sit in front of her and look in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Couldn't talk to her, couldn't touch her. What happened if they talked? Did um, they get kicked out? I'm trying to think of somebody. Some some people tried to do stuff and got yeah. kicked out. Yeah. Because um, one person tried to get naked. Anyways, there's a documentary about it. Yes, I've never seen that. So I watched I watched the documentary. Really liked it, and I went, I went. Oh, I wonder because I. I've been in the memoir that I'm writing about, right. about point and shoot about um, being a photographer pre and post digital age. Like my career literally took a, a downturn in when the iPhone came out. Like that's mm -hmm. when the business of photography changed. And um, um, so back to <laughs> anyways. Um, interested in it all but what I, I was trying to use like so i've been writing about this about how the iphone and technology has been hurtful to me in my mm -hmm. career and what i see happening to society because i pay a lot of attention like mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's of interest to me anyways i when i watched this film i went i wonder if i can use that idea of being quiet and just like I found the whole part of looking into somebody's eyes and just wondering, like it was as, as interesting to look into her eyes as the people who were sitting there because she became kind of a a um, celebrity for this, right? Yeah. Um, so I just went, and then I just came up with this idea about instead of a live thing, I'll do... I'll make the audience sit in quiet. I'll make the most silent side, like silent films usually have sound. Like, right. Like Working. Yeah. But I want it, it to be complete. So like, so the whole point of my film is you've got to turn your phone off to watch it mm -hmm. and you should be quiet for 15 minutes and mm -hmm. you should think. Mm -hmm. And in the film, there are 10 different subjects. That, have you seen it? Yeah. I watched it Okay, on my laptop. Is that bad? No, no. You're looking at it right Watch now. it from anywhere. But yeah. um, there's 10 subjects. It starts with life and ends with death. Yeah. And it's a, it was a, just something that came to me and I decided to do it just because I thought it'd be an interesting thing to do. And much like Cracked, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to watch. Yeah, Crack Not Broken, which is the one about the uh, Lisa, or is it her, Nicole? Lisa. Lisa, yeah. Uh, and uh, her experiences as an addict, right? Right, yeah. which was, so as we... Was it a year? Did you go in between time to... Uh, I haven't seen it for years and years now. Okay, so what, we 
I'll go back to Dan, what we were talking about, mm-hmm. Dan, when we were talking about that I followed Dan during that year that he was doing a lot of drugs, mm-hmm. the piece that's on YouTube, I showed that to Dan because I, I, after a year, I said to Dan, I go, look, I don't want to be shooting you. Like I, I, I was getting to the point where I thought he might die yeah. from his drugs. And I said, I don't want to be shooting. Like, I don't think I could live with myself if you die while I'm shooting you do drugs. Yeah, you know? no, that's a very, um, that's a very dubious position. Fuck, to thank be. God it didn't happen. Um, I put this video together that's up on YouTube and I showed it to Dan. And my idea was, I said, Dan, look, why don't we use, why don't we try to use your story? Uh-huh. Like he was trying to quit drugs. That was, he wanted to get clean and stuff. I said, yeah. why don't we try to use this? And I showed it to him. And I showed it to him at a band called Kill Cheer- Cheerleader. Do you remember yeah, them? Sure. He Dan, lived at their house. He at was living point. at their house. Yeah. So I went to show it to him at their house and they were going on tour the next day. Anyways, the band and Dan and I watched this piece together. And Dan uh-huh. saw it for the first time. And he said, to, 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 like, I proposed it to him, like, let's make this about trying to using this for you to get better uh-huh. and he went no <laughs> i don't want i don't want to that's not what i want to do and i went okay well that's fine i'm but i can't do this anymore i can't yeah. shoot you anymore yeah so that never went anywhere but it was that film that mm-hmm. i showed so my wife had a friend who had a serious addiction problem yeah and she was clean at one point and she came over to our house and I mentioned this to her. I said, look, I've been, sh- she was telling me stories about her life. I said, I have a friend who's an a- quite a serious addict. I'd love you. I think it's what I captured is pretty good. I'd just like your opinion on it because I was interested in, I've been around it. So I was interested in addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she looked at it and said, yeah, you've really captured what it's like to live as an addict in society. And the last thing she said to me was, if I ever go back into it, I'll let you interview me one mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And six months later, I get a call. And it's a February afternoon and it's Lisa. And she says, do you want to come interview me? I'm in a hotel on Bay Street. It was a Bay Street motel yeah. down by the uh, bus, bus station. station. Yeah. So I go down with my little camera and I didn't even know what I, I wasn't going to shoot a film. Mm-hmm. I was going to interview her. I, I, I thought that might be a, something to do with what I was doing with Dan or maybe I was taking it in another direction. Anyways, mm-hmm. I go and I shoot her for 45 minutes. It's one scene of her and I talking. We're in a room no bigger than this. Mm-hmm. She's sitting on her bed. Mm-hmm. Like it's very similar. This is to this. very similar. It's <laughs> wow. where I do my best work. Yeah. Scott Thompson was in my bedroom. Um <laughs> that's why I, I I mean I'm I'm in the same boat, man. Yeah. yeah. You gotta uh anyway small space. It's like comedy. That uh I spend forty five minutes with her. I leave, I go pick up my daughters are at grade two and kindergarten at Deer Park School, mm-hmm. the school that Lisa went to and my wife went to. And um, then I look at the footage that night and, you know, I, I still have trouble comprehending 
what went on in that hour, like that I was actually there and all that happened. But what ended up, when I looked at it again, I went, man, you can use this to educate people. So I proposed to Lisa mm -hmm. exactly what I proposed to Dan. Mm -hmm. And she said yes. Yeah. And then nine months late, like we showed it at the region, this pretty much the film, the way it, it's most of the film is the conversation we have in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. And then there's the ending of the film is the first screening of the film at the Regent Theater. I wonder if you sent me a cut that didn't have the screening in it. Because you sent me cuts of it, it's Dan a, thing and also of, of uh, the Lisa one. And I wonder if they were intercut when you sent them to me. Is that well, there's, there's a bit of the Dan piece in the Lisa film. Okay. Anyways, the, that film called Crack Not Broken, you can watch stream on go, just go, Google Crack Not Broken Snag Films. Yeah, it's you on snagfills.com. Yes. Snag films. Yeah, and that's a free, free stream. So you just sign up for it. and You, you don't can... even have to sign up. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's, it's fascinating. fascinating. I, I think it's one of the best documentaries about drug addiction. And it wound up, uh, Lisa was on like Oprah or on the... So we showed it September 12th, 2005 uh -huh. at, at the Regent Theater and... That screening, you'll see at the end, it, that's the end of the film, is uh -huh. that screening. But nine months, almost to the day later, she was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Uh huh. And I, that was thir 13 years ago this week. And she cleaned up by the time she was on Oprah? Well, she was clean at the time. I mean, so we screened at the region and then we started screening in schools. Like mm -hmm. we were showing, Lisa would come we would show the film and Lisa would speak after. And I was trying to just get her out of her routine, which was mm -hmm. doing drugs in her basement apartment. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I believe that art, there's a healing power to art. And mm -hmm. I think that's sort of what the whole thing behind your podcast too, right? Like right. You're, you're talking about mental health and, what you've gone through and there's mm -hmm. there's there's healing for other people just to know that other people are going through it. i hope so i mean sometimes i feel like i'm just scratching the surface of it you know like all this stuff i'm but then maybe we're all just scratching the surface of it because unless you experience it yourself or close you know it's like just thinking about that with uh you know uh murder victims the other day you know when someone's at a trial and they say the, the family comes in and they say you know this person you know, hit my son with a car and they're dead they don't have the chance to uh you know be here to watch you get to serve justice and you get to and uh you always hear that but it's like i feel like the difference between hearing that and being the person who's saying that you know you have to be pretty close up to to see the power of that actually occurring you know it's like a it's like a a, a lot you know any death you know and right. and uh and i think it's the same in terms of like what we're experiencing internally you know so some so i hope i'm at least reminding people yes that, that they're not alone and more than that that i understand that you know they are alone in their own way <laughs> we are all suffering alone right. and the best we can do is just sort of uh, you know admit that to each other right. and, and take it from there, you yeah. know, so. There's beauty and darkness. I mean, that's what, 
art is, right? That's what like, uh, F.W. Murnau proved, you know, when he who? made, the guy made Nosferatu, you know, a lot of shadows, a lot of darkness, uh, you know, I guess. Uh, I've only really seen sepia-toned prints of it, but... Is it sepia or sepia? Sepia. Yeah, I don't pronounce words right. <laughs> That's something I don't do. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting life. Yeah, sounds like it. And uh, I guess we should wrap it up here. Is that it? Have we gone over the longest yet? No, you're, no. and I'm not going to let you. Why? I'm going to let Scott Thompson keep it. How about a song? My friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how about a song? Um, yeah, uh, you can show me a couple pictures if you want. Well, I had some combat, whatever. We'll do it some, yeah, some yeah. other time. Bonus footage. Yeah. You can come back anytime you want, man. You got something else going on? Come by. We'll talk about it. Yeah. My you band's know? playing. I, I'm in a band. Oh, are you called No Signal? Yeah. Is that the name of it? You have a tattoo of your band. Yep. When did you get that? The tattoo? Yeah. Um, I got it probably about five years ago. This was my first tattoo. What is that? That was my cinema. cinema. That's nice. But that was my dog. But it's a word. Oh. But yeah, my band, like, that's something that came out of being around Burke, too. Like, uh-huh. shooting bands and even back to the Ramones. I know I wasn't musical as a kid. I started playing when I was 49 years old. Wow. And uh, we play once a year live. Right, yeah. And it's, it's an event, yeah, you know? It's, it's an experience. It's, it's like a reunion of a band that was never really a, together before doing the reunion tour. Right. Yeah, I think... <laughs> We actually have an interesting story, you know. We're not doing it for anything other than one night a year we can be a rock star, have that experience. Right. Dan let us play the Silver Dollar. Like, my band played the Silver Dollar. That's great. That's that's my greatest rock story. Yeah, yeah. On a Saturday night. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great that Dan did that. He's got that uh, loyalty. Him. and we and we packed this club oh that's awesome man yeah yeah so come up on it's on may 31st may 31st at the old chicken deli it's free where's chicken deli again <laughs> chicken deli is on mount pleasant just south of eglinton <laughs> it was a famous bar in the i guess 80s and 90s i feel like it had did it have multiple locations or was it just the no one? and there was a big chicken on top of it I do remember it. Yeah. yeah. I can really remember that chicken. It wasn't quite Foghorn Leghorn. It's in a Leghorn. little strip mall. Was it? But it was close to Foghorn Leghorn, wasn't it? It was like a golden color or something. Well, there was a big golden I'm, chicken on <laughs> I'm looking at a golden chicken right now behind your head. So, you know, we talk about darkness. I've got in the rubber house. chicken and then I have the uh, screen guy. Uh, I shot a rubber chicken for... Um, uh, Mark Breslin for, I think it hangs in their, one of their clubs or a bunch of their clubs. That's because cool. Mark Breslin was a, a early supporter of my comedy work. Like he put me, I shot Emo Phillips yeah. through him and a bunch of people. That's and great. I shot Breslin. Anyways, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll cut it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Paul. I'm so glad I could get my recording equipment functional for this cool it's a great sign and that was my talk with paul thank you for listening to that i hope you laughed cried wanted more 
If you did want more, check out Paul at uh, the links I put up mentioned earlier, uh, Cinema Perrier, on YouTube and on Twitter, and he has an Instagram as well, which uh, is under the name Be Present right now. And uh, yeah, if you do want to uh, support the podcast, tell a friend. Subscribing is huge. Rating it is huge. Reviewing it is huge. That all really helps people see the podcast. It bumps me up in whatever the... I t- Look, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know that I'm assuming it helps to do that. And I know for a fact it helps to go on patreon.com slash Flanagan and throw whatever you can at me. And if you wanted to make a one-time donation, um, get in touch with me at weeklypodcast at gmail.com. And I will pass to you the PayPal that you can send money to if you want. Um, your money will go towards buying me more water so I don't have dry throat while I do intros and outros. Um, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of shows coming up. The website, uh, theflans.com, has them all listed. And so go there to find out exactly what's going on in my life. And Paul's band No Signal will be playing very soon. Oh, man. Nick. Oh, God. Flanagan. Oh, Weekly. Oh, man. Nick. Flanagan. Weekly.